I greet you this day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's good to see everyone here on site in the Faith and Arts Center, along with those who are joining us online. Today we are continuing our January worship series, Route 66. And the 66 refers to the 66 books of the Bible. And Root recognizes we are all on a spiritual journey. During 2022, we are inviting our congregation to read the New Testament together. And the reading plan begins at the end of the series a week from tomorrow on Monday, January the 31st. If you haven't already picked up the plan, I encourage you to do so today. It's available in three different formats. Uh, You can get a printed brochure, which you can stick in your Bible and check off as you go along. It's available on the church website. And if you've signed up for our daily devotions, it will be sent straight to your email. And if you have not yet signed up, uh, you can look at that trifold bowl folder you received as you came in today, and there's information how to sign up for our email list. I'm excited about the opportunity. It takes a person about an average of five minutes to read a chapter in the New Testament, and one chapter a day, six days a week, we'll finish the entire New Testament by Thanksgiving week, and we're beginning with the Gospel of Mark. It only has 16 chapters. That means in two and a half weeks, we will be done with an entire gospel, and I believe God is going to bless our efforts. Today and next week, I am wanting to set the context for our study of God's Word. So next week's sermon is entitled, The New Testament in 20 Minutes. We're going to cover the whole thing in one sermon. And today's sermon is entitled, The Old Testament in 20 Minutes. For those of you who are OCD and like to watch your watch, I haven't started yet. I'll let you know when I do. But let's begin with the basics. We've already talked about the fact that the Bible is actually a library. Within the pages of Scripture, we have 66 books divided into two major sections, what we as Christians call the Old and New Testament. Synonyms for testament are covenant or relationship. And the 39 books of Hebrew scripture talk about God making covenant with the patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith. The 27 books of the New Testament talk about God's covenant with us through Jesus the Christ. Last week we discovered that the Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures are divided into three main topics or three main areas. There's first of all the law first five books of Hebrew Scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In Hebrew, it's known as the Torah, which actually means teaching. The second section is the prophets, which roughly covers the historical period for Israel from the time they entered the Promised Land through Babylonian captivity. The prophets were not really concerned about telling the future. They were more concerned about calling Israel to repentance and holiness in the present. Uh, The third major area is known as the writings, and it includes poetry, songs, proverbs, and more, books like the Psalter, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. One of the questions we also asked last week is whether the Old Testament is important to Christians, because after all, the word old seems to depict a lesser status. But I like to remind everyone that God's nature and character don't change. God's the same from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, 
And also remember that Jesus, the early apostles, and the early church were all Jewish. Their scripture was the Hebrew Bible. And we saw how when Paul in 2 Timothy wrote, all scripture is God-breathed, the New Testament had not yet been compiled. He was talking about what we now call the Old Testament. So it is important to our spiritual formation. And you can make a case you can't really understand the New Testament without the broader context of the Old. Today's scripture lesson is from Psalm 1. It is the same scripture we used last week. I want you to listen carefully for the image given of a person who sinks their roots deep into God's word. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on God's law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit and season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. So today we're going to begin a journey through the Old Testament in 20 minutes or less, and you can start your watches now. In the beginning, the Lord God Almighty created the heavens and the earth. God's Spirit brooded over the formless chaos of the cosmos, and God spoke, and creation came into being. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be sky. And there was sky. And God said, let there be land. And there was land. And God said, let there be plants and trees. And there were plants and trees. God said, let there be lights in the sky. And the sun and the moon and the stars appeared. And God said, let there be life. And birds flew in the sky and fish swam in the sea and animals walked on the ground. And then God said, let us make man and woman in our image. So the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, knelt down in the dirt and formed first man out of clay. Then he leaned over that inanimate object and breathed spirit, life, into Adam, who became a living being. But then the first problem of creation came to pass. The man was lonely. And God said it's not good for him to be alone, so God made Eve to be Adam's helpmate. And God saw everything that had been created and said it was very, very Good. And God rested on the seventh day and declared the Sabbath holy. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to be co creators and stewards of the world that He had made. And He gave them the fruit of every tree and plant in the garden to eat except for one. He warned them. Don't partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden, because if you do, you will die. And everything was perfect for a while. 
until one day the serpent came slithering up to Eve and hissed words of temptation and told her, if you eat of that tree, you won't die. You'll become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And when Eve saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and then to the touch and then to the taste, she ate the forbidden fruit. And her husband also. And the serpent's words proved strangely true. They did now know the difference between good and evil because they had committed the latter and they were ashamed. And they hid themselves. When God discovered their sin, he cast them out of the Garden of Eden. And we live with the results of that original sin to this day. We're sons of Adam. We are daughters of Eve, living in a fallen world with heartbreaking glimpses of Eden's former glory. But God didn't quit loving God's children. He continued to care for them. In fact, he even gave them the God-like ability to create life. And Eve conceived and gave birth to her first child, a son, and named him Cain. And then a second boy named Abel. And the two grew up, and Cain became a farmer, and Abel a shepherd. And one day they both brought sacrifices to God's altar. Cain brought some of the fruit out of his field. Abel brought the very best of the flock. And God favored Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. And Cain was jealous, and Cain was mad. And Cain followed Abel out into the fields, and there he murdered his brother. And Abel's blood cried out from the ground. And when God confronted Cain with the question, where's your brother? Cain replied, am I my brother's keeper? Well, no, you're your brother's brother. And God banished Cain to wander the earth. And the generations came and went, and things went from bad to worse, and God became sorry he had ever created humanity and decided to wipe out the wicked world with a flood. But there was one righteous man who had found favor with God. His name was Noah. And so God told Noah, build an ark, a large boat, and gather your family on it along with two of every kind of animal. And once Noah had, God closed the boat and the rains began. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and flooded the world and washed it clean. But God didn't forget Noah or the precious cargo of the ark and they landed safe on the far side. And one of the first things Noah did was to plant a vineyard and then to take the grapes and to make wine and become drunk. And the whole sorry mess started all over again. And more centuries passed, unknown numbers of years, until finally there was another man who caught God's favor. His name was Abram. He lived in the city of Ur among the people of the Chaldeans. And one day God came to Abram and said, leave your home behind and travel to the land I will show you. Note the future tense, will show you. And Abram and his wife Sarah, in a radical act of faith, left everything behind 
and pursued God. Abram was also promised that he would become the father of a great nation. In fact, later, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many, which was quite the joke among the people because he didn't have any children. And he and Sarah were getting older and older. And one day, God dropped by as a disguised guest and repeated the promise yet again. And Sarah, who was hiding and eavesdropping, laughed out loud. But in her old, old age, Sarah conceived and gave birth to a son whom she named Isaac, which in Hebrew means laughter. And the promise was fulfilled. But one day, God told Abraham to take Isaac, your only son whom you love, out into the wilderness and offer him up as a burnt sacrifice. And so Abraham faithful to God, took his son, and as they traveled out, Isaac, in a very plaintive, heart-wrenching moment, said to his father, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, where is the lamb? And Abraham said that God will provide. And just as the knife was raised and beginning to strike, God stayed Abraham's hand. And there was a ram caught in the thorns nearby, and Abraham used it for the sacrifice but you got to think that Isaac required years of therapy after that. <laughs> and Isaac grew up and married a woman named Rebekah, and together they had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob was a scoundrel and a trickster from the moment he was born. He stole from his slower, older brother the family birthright as well as the blessing and went through a series of adventures and misadventures, he eventually married sisters, always a good idea, named Leah and Rachel. And that wasn't enough. He also had relationships with their maidservants. Between the five of them, they had a dozen boys and a girl. Dysfunctional families are nothing new. But out of the 12 boys, Jacob loved Joseph most and spoiled him rotten, and his brothers naturally were upset and jealous, and one day they decided they were going to just kill him. But then a caravan headed to Egypt came by, and instead they sold Joseph into slavery. And through a series of providential events that only God could orchestrate, Joseph became the right-hand man of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he was able to gather his family into that land where they were safeguarded against a famine that swept the world. And the generations grew and the Jews prospered. And this would have been a really good place to end the story with they lived happily ever after. But they didn't. Because there came a time when a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. And he looked at this multiplying foreign people in his land and saw them as a threat. So he ordered them to be enslaved, to put to hard labor, and it even got to the point where he told the Hebrew midwives to murder any newborn male children. There's one woman who disobeyed Pharaoh. She took her baby, raised him in secret for three months, and then placed him in a basket afloat on the Nile River. And who should happen to find the child on the shore but the Pharaoh's daughter herself? And she took the child 
and adopted him and raised him in the Egyptian palaces as a prince of Egypt and named him Moses. But one day, Moses, as a young man, saw an Egyptian soldier abusing a Hebrew slave, and he intervened, and when it was all done, the soldier was dead. And Moses fled the land as a fugitive, eventually met a woman that he married, and his job was taking care of the father-in-law's sheep. One day, atop Mount Horeb, Moses came across a strange sight. It was a bush that was aflame but not consumed by the fire. And God spoke to Moses and told him to go back to Egypt and to free the people. And Moses, like everyone who ever receives God's call, came up with a series of excuses why he couldn't. But he finally did. And stood before the Pharaoh and said, let my people go. But it took 10 devastating plagues before the king agreed. And Moses led the rejoicing people out of Egypt towards freedom. And then the king changed his mind and gathered his army and pursued the slaves. And there Moses and the people found themselves trapped with the Red Sea in front of them and the Pharaoh's armies behind. And God commanded Moses who raised his hands and the Red Sea parted. And the Jews crossed dry shod. And when Pharaoh's armies tried to follow, the waters came thundering down and destroyed them. And they were free. And atop Mount Sinai, God delivered to Moses the law that would guide the people and how they were called to live both with God as well as with one another. But the people were stubborn. They were hard-necked. They were rebellious. They were unfaithful. And as a result, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until most of that first generation had died away. Even Moses only glimpsed the promised land from the top of Mount Nebo. It was Joshua who led the people across the Jordan into Israel. And over the next decades, through hard work and through warfare, they made God's promise a reality. And there were times that foreign powers continued to threaten Israel. Other times Israel was disobedient and unfaithful to God. And the Lord would call up a series of charismatic leaders called judges to lead them for a time. But the people began to look about them. And they saw that every nation around them had a king. And they began to whine, we want a king too. The only king Israel had ever needed was God. But the Lord reluctantly allowed Samuel to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. Tall, good-looking man who led the people to victory and they began to trust more in a man than they did in God. There was a young boy named David who was a shepherd who rose to national prominence when he defeated the giant Goliath in a battle. And Saul had this love-hate relationship with David, but saw him as an upstart and as a threat and tried to kill him several times. After Saul's death, David became the king of Israel, uniting all the people into one nation. And in many ways, David represented both the best and the worst of God's people. Scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart wrote many of the Psalms which declare our faithfulness and God's faithfulness in turn. But David also saw a young woman one day bathing in a courtyard and committed adultery and murder in order to have her. 
and the people struggled. David's son Solomon eventually became king, and in many ways that was a zenith of Jewish monarchy. He united the people. The land was as big as it would ever be. He built a temple. The people prospered. He was known for his wisdom. And yet, despite being known for his wisdom, he married hundreds of wives and took on hundreds more of concubines. And the seeds of destruction were sown because these foreign women brought with them their gods and their idols. After Solomon died, Civil war divided the nation again into two countries, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. They had a series of kings, some good, some bad, some holy, some profane, some wise, some dumb. And over time, they were defeated by foreign enemies. And at last, Judah itself fell as the Babylonian armies carried them off into captivity. And we've heard the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah this past year and how eventually they would return and you read the Old Testament as this depressing plot that has rerun after rerun after rerun. It's the same story that God delivers the people. They are thankful. They are faithful for a while. But then they go after other gods and idols and they forget their covenant with the Lord God Almighty and with one another. And eventually disaster strikes either external strife or internal struggle. And when they hit rock bottom, they call out to God, God delivers them. And the cycle starts all over again. The prophets had called the people to a holy covenant with God that both had relationship with God as well as relationship with others. The physical sign given to the Jews of their special status with God was circumcision. But the prophet said, what you really need is a circumcision of the heart, internally to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but externally to love your neighbor as yourself. To hear the words of the prophet Micah who said, what does God expect of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And what you discover is that Hebrew Scripture is a story of a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God and a covenant-making, covenant-breaking people. But God kept the divine promises. First, Abraham and Sarah did indeed become the father and mother of a people as countless as the stars in the sky and the sand along the shore. Secondly, they were eventually led to the promised land. And the centuries and millennia have come and gone, and political powers have risen and fallen, and borders have shifted along with the sand. And there have been times that the Jews have rose victorious and other times defeated. They have been scattered in exile to the four corners of the world. And yet the nation of Israel exists today. God gave to Moses the law which became not only the foundation of the Judeo-Christian heritage, but of civilization as we know it. And there was one final promise. God had told Abram long ago that God would bless Abram so that he in turn would be a blessing to the world. And as the years went by and as Israel caught a glimpse of God's leadership and the various kings and judges that served them. They began to yearn 
for a promised one, which the prophets foretold would come and save the people from their sin and from their death. They called him the anointed one, which in Hebrew is Messiah, and in Greek it is Christ. And they waited. The book of Malachi concludes Hebrew scriptures written about the 5th century B.C., and for 400 years, God's voice was not heard. And the Jews waited and waited and waited and waited. Next week, the story continues. When just as in the very beginning, God speaks yet again. But this time, God's word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your living word, sharper than any two-edged sword that is God-breathed and spoken into our lives as children of all ages as infants receiving their first children's Bible, as third graders receiving their adventure Bibles today, as teenagers who are embarking on a spiritual journey, as adults who have multiple Bibles scattered around our homes, teach us to be a people of your word, a daily discipline of encountering you through scripture, and let your word be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we make our prayer. Amen.